0: In the laws of the universe lie stories untold, and through only their tellers do tales unfold. A pen dances on paper, painting trails of sprightly narratives and elaborate expanses. Paper. Pen. Both elements on their own remain powerful and unmoving, but the explosive unification of the duo combined remains the most influential tool one could wield. Their tango moves mountains. Their foxtrot builds rivers and roads. Each twirl loops mortals together in cities apart, birthing both love and war. The composition of their steps creates rain and rhythm. With nothing holding them back, they make overtures and oceans. To no end, the planes are orchestrated by a maestro with no face. Calligraphy and crescendo map out the world before us all. A letter signed. A picture sketched. A song composed. As images on parchment are scrawled and danced, thus begins the world of the inked expanse. Our narratives begin, as most do, with recognizing the balance between divinity and impiety. The cosmos may have been penned into existence, but who will be there to influence mortality without the guidance of the pen? Undying souls will alter the endurance of mortality indefinitely. However, those who perish can hold just as much potential. They write the tales of those who hold phenomenal power. This is the story of Gods and Demons.
1: There once was a baby,
2: born of a pair,
1: just like you and I. The first baby was loved by their family. The other baby was abandoned by their meager parents. The first babbled, crawled, walked, and talked. The other cried, squirmed, fell, and pushed. And unsurprisingly, the first learned love. Unsurprisingly, the other learned hate. The first grew, learned, ate, and ran. The other cowered, learned, scavenged, and hid. The first became a performer, a lover of music, stories, and people. The other became a criminal, a loather of those who had stories, music, and love. As the first explored, their tales inked the landscape with joy, imagination, and freedom. As the other stole and murdered, their reputation expanded further than hate, nightmares, and and oppression. The first became so beloved that their name spread across the land. Bezao. The other became so feared that their name spread across the land. Frigg. Bezao's most beloved story was of a far-off land. A land of bountiful harvests, days of lounging and loving, acts of might and prosperity. A land that people wanted Frigg's most infamous story was not the story of hate that people expected, a silent night of murder, but also freeing of captives, spreading of coin, and understanding. The people that Bezao orated to became jealous. The people that Frigg gave to became thankful, jealous of what they could not have afterward. Thankful for what they did not have before Jealous of Bezao's gift of word and song Thankful for Frigg's spilled blood of the unjust Bezao's name became synonymous with envy Frigg's name became synonymous with retribution And so the ink rewrote After Bezao's timely murder At the end of Frigg's long life Their name, name and form changed to match, match the ink Bezow Thier abhorred demon of envy, distraction, and overindulgence, Frigrolin, beloved deity of justice, recompense, and balance.
0: With the creation of gods comes the creation of lands, an event not dissimilar to its predecessor. From the earth grow saplings, and from their trunks grow paper, the canvas and vessel for what is to come. The winding tangle of roots create patterns in the dirt, lines, letters. Words trail the earth and escape the mouth faster than the release of breath, and before it is even recognized as desire, a covet is formed. All it takes is a creative mind and the hope for change in order to alter the paths and tomes of the universe. This is the story of The Wisher and the Tree.
2: When the world was first drawn, when the ink was still fresh enough to smear, there was a young girl. She and her family were among the first settlers of Trilla. Each morning, the family would rise, and they would set out to tend the orchards, planting, watering, trimming, harvesting. However, because she was the youngest, her older sister told her to stay home to tend the house— From the window, she watched her family toil away, and though it was hard work, she also saw her siblings laughing and playing, throwing trimmed leaves and enjoying the first tastes of the fruit at harvest. The young girl became envious, and she thought to herself, I wish I wasn't so small, then I could be outside with my family and tend the plants too. And when her family returned home that evening, she walked all around the house on her tiptoes to try and convince them all that she was grown. After a few hours, however, her legs began to tire and shake, and she finally let her heels drop back to the ground. Her siblings laughed, thinking she was doing something funny, but the little girl, frustrated and upset, stole off to her room, slamming the door behind her. After a few moments, there was a soft knock at the door, and her brother, who was just a few years older than her, came in and sat down on her bed. The girl wiped her tears away, and her brother asked what was wrong. "'No matter what I do,' she said, "'I can't convince everyone that I'm old enough. "'I'm too small and too young, "'and I can't go out and work the orchards with you. "'All day I wished I could go out and join you, "'but my wishing didn't work. "'It gets so lonely here at home, "'and I can see you all having fun outside, "'and I wish I could join you, but I can't.' "'Her brother nodded in understanding "'and pulled her into a hug. "'I want you to join us too, "'but even some things you wish for just can't be.' Wishing to grow taller in the span of a day or to grow up so fast doesn't work with the natural way of things. But perhaps there are other wishes to be made that will work. He reached into his pocket and pulled out a tiny seed. I found this in the orchard. It's not one of ours. Maybe this seed can be the start of your next wish. And he gave it to the young girl before standing up and walking toward the door. Just before he left, he turned back and said, One thing to remember. "'Wishes are good, but sometimes a wish isn't enough. "'I trust that you'll figure it out.' "'And with that, he left the girl alone with her seed. "'The young girl looked at it in her hand. "'It was dark brown, round, almost a sphere, "'with a few lighter streaks running through it. "'It didn't look like any seed she'd seen before. "'She let out a yawn. "'It was getting late, and she was getting tired, "'so she tucked the seed beneath her pillow.' I wish to wake up tomorrow knowing what to do with this seed. She thought this to herself over and over again until she drifted off to sleep. The next morning she woke and saw her family out in the orchard already. She reached under her pillow to the seed and pulled it out, and to her surprise, a tiny green sprout had burst from the casing of the seed overnight. The girl was thrilled. Finally, I can show that I'm big enough to work with them. The girl knew plants liked the sun, so she set it on the windowsill and watched it, hoping to catch the seed growing some more. An hour passed, then another, and the girl couldn't see any change. She decided to do some chores around the house to make the time go faster. She swept the floors, wiped the table and chairs, and stepped outside to pump some water. She stopped. "'Of course!' she cried out. "'It needs water!' She continued pumping the water into the pail and took it inside to start boiling it on the stove before skipping back outside to get some for her seed in a small cup. She went back to the sprout on the sill and paused. If she put the seed in a cup of water, it would likely drown. She needed to get it into some dirt. She went back outside and began digging through the grass, trying to find the richest soil she could, running back inside every few minutes to check on the water boiling inside. She finally gathered enough in an old wooden box, poked a hole in the dirt, and dropped the seed in before pouring the water over it. She set it back on her windowsill and watched to see if anything happened. It did not, but she realized how filthy her trousers and shirt had gotten while she was out digging in the dirt. At least today was laundry day. She got started on cleaning hers and her family's clothes, scrubbing with soap on the washboard. Laundry day was her least favorite day. It made her sweat. She worked hard to clean the clothes. Soon everything had been cleaned, and she hung them all up to dry, standing on an old, overturned wheelbarrow to reach the clothesline. As she stepped back to admire her work, her stomach growled. Time to start on dinner. She looked out to the orchard on the horizon, watching her family continue to till and plant their seeds and trim up the branches on the trees. Her brother was carrying a heavy pile of twigs and sticks, and her sister was carrying a large bag of seeds, resting it on her hip to make it easier to hold. Now that she thought about it, working the orchard seemed to be a lot of hard work, The girl smiled determinedly and got to work making dinner. By the time she had set the table, her sprout had grown about two inches above the soil. The next day she did much the same, running around the house, attending to her chores and caring for her sprout in between, and each day as she worked the seed seemed to grow even more. Soon it outgrew the box she had planted it in, and she had to find a spot for it outside. Each day and each night when she went out to visit it, she would whisper to it, I wish for you to grow big and strong and to show my family that I am big and strong too. And as she took care to do the things she had to, the plant made her wish come true, growing into a lovely tall tree. It had deep brown bark, wide cool green leaves, and made for wonderful shade from the sun. As quickly as the seed grew, however, it still took time, and as patient as the girl came to be, there were days she wanted to shout at the tree to grow faster. There were days when the chores around the house kept her so busy that she couldn't visit her beloved tree, days when she became ill and had to stay inside. Some days the tree didn't seem to grow at all. When those days occurred, she held even tighter to her wish, asking her brother or any of the gods that were out there listening to help her tree while she could not and the tree continued to grow. A full year passed from the time she planted it, and to her surprise, the tree began to bear fruit. The fruits were round and ranged from pale blue to light yellow as they ripened. At night, they caught the reflection of the moon and almost seemed to glow. One night, the girl couldn't possibly wait, so she crept out into the cool night air and began harvesting her fruits. She plucked the first one from the lower branches and bit into it. Its skin was easily broken, and the juice of these fruits was smooth and sweet, almost floral to the taste. As she relished in her successful harvest, she thought back to all the hard work that had gone into nourishing her tree, the pruning, the weeding, the watering, and doing all of that work in between her other responsibilities. It somehow made the fruit taste even sweeter. When the sun rose the next day, she greeted her family with boxes of fruit on the table. My dear family, she said, I'd like you all to try a wish fruit. And as she cut her fruits into slices, she told them all of her hard work. Her parents and her brother were exceptionally proud, and her sister begrudgingly admitted that the wish fruit was delicious and suggested she sell them at the local market, even asking her younger sister for some advice on how to get the fruits in the orchard to be as good soon word of this girl and her tree of wishes spread over all the land and people traveled all across the inked expanse to try a wish fruit though it very well could have been this was not the end of the story for the girl after the harvest season she found a new wish wishing to travel the inked expanse and sell her fruits to people who couldn't travel to her and as she worked for her wish the tree continued to grow her brother began to help tend the tree while she was away and he had wishes of his own Wish after wish was worked for and granted, and the tree grew taller than any of the trees in the orchard. People to this day say that if you travel to Trella and water the tree with a wish and a plan in mind, the wish fruit will taste extra sweet, and you'll be blessed in your endeavors by the wisher herself.
0: You can perceive the pages written through many lenses. For example, one could go about their life wearing rose-colored glasses, tinting the parchment with optimism and light, Meanwhile, another person could see their narrative as an optical illusion, struggling to differentiate between reality and fantasy. However, this particular tale does not follow the lens of one's disposition. No, this story follows a literal optic, one penned to be so minuscule and frivolous in creation's grand design, yet one that sparked the beginnings of both revolution and turmoil. This is the story of The Fragmented Prism. The rain splashing the cobblestone of the town's main road was often seen as an ill omen. Storms in summer were practically unheard of, and therefore an imbalance in the weather was viewed as Lady Karma repaying what was often due. However, the unexpected dark and gloomy weather was not considered bad luck at all, as heavy leather boots disrupt the puddles forming in the streets. A simplistic cloak of maroon wool whistles through passageways and past windowed storefronts as a woman hastily dashes to her abode. It seems the dull cloud cover has provided her with a small window of opportunity to accomplish something monumental. Arriving at her front door, she crashes into the space, almost slipping on the piled-up eviction notices in her doorframe. Her cloak joins the debris on the floor, her dark curling hair framing her warm skin. Golden eyes flash with both inspiration and haste as her satchel is recklessly tossed to the table, sending files and loose-leaf papers flying in all directions. She unbuttons her tapered white sleeves, rolling them up above her elbows, as she crosses the room to a small closet. For the first time since the start of the storm, she exhales in relief as the closet reveals a small, crescent-shaped contraption. Four crystals protrude along the shape of the crescent, evenly spaced and of varying color, while one small stand in the device's empty space is void of material. She mentally counts in her head. Red. Yellow. Green. Blue. Just as distant lightning strikes and illuminates the room briefly, she picks up the abstract device and brings it over to her aged table. Setting it down with a newfound finesse, she reaches into her satchel and pulls out a clear glass prism. Holding it in her hands and admiring its pyramid-like structure, she adjusts the void stand in the center of her device and places the prism in it. It fits as if the glass, too, believed in a brighter future. From the same satchel, she reveals a shattered mirror, or maybe pieces of several, framed in grime and dirt, With a mathematician's mind, she expertly angles two panes of mirror on each side of the varicolored gems until each mental calculation she had formed came to fruition. Another lightning strike, this time closer, lights the room briefly and rattles the walls. This is her chance. She wipes her palms on gray trousers and then holds out her left hand, palm facing the floor and fingers outstretched, muttering a low incantation. Those same eyes, fueled by innovation and discovery, spark with arcane light as each of the crystals begin to glow, concentrated stones of the colors of magic. Each beam of colored light refracts off the mirrors and into the prism until out the other side is a pure white beam of divine light. Bold and strong, the magnetic energy of the new source of magic never seen to the eye draws her in. She kneels closer, examining the tiny sparks of varicolored light weaving in and out of each other to compose such an enigmatic melody of arcana. Its perfection as the material plane has never seen before. A crash of lightning and thunder alights the space. However, this time it rattles more than the walls and the floor. The cool-colored light engulfs the wavelengths of the green and blue crystals, leaving only red and yellow beams infiltrating the prism. There is a brief spark of an orange arcana, a magic that was unheard of at the time, and the force of the two weaves colliding pushes her back, slamming her against the wall. A deafening crack is heard as the table breaks in two, and the vision of arcane flame alights the room until her head hits the stone wall. Darkness. Awaking some time later, our antagonist rubs her eyes. Her space that was once her home has now mutilated into an empty and singed husk. She looks down and she sees herself in multiple places at once, a piece of herself in the past, present, and future simultaneously. Her core burns with the heat of a thousand suns. However, the furnace in her lungs does not consume her. Rather, the flame has become a part of her. The fragments of shattered mirror and prism by her feet, she sees a multitude of pieces of herself lied out before her. Pulsing veins of possibility run up her arms and neck, as if a lava flow had been expedited then quelled. A catch of her golden eyes cause moment for pause, as it seems to be the only feature about her left unchanged by the arcane battery that is herself. She smiles coyly. Is this what playing God feels like? The tragedies experienced by mortality are numerous in nature—hunger, exhaustion, pestilence. However, the defining trait of every classic, tragic hero is their downfall commencing at the behest of their own hubris. With no downfall to answer to but their own, misfortune will often line the script of those who have penned it in their own pages. Their misdeeds often shape them, allowing them to take any form the pen sees fit. Even a form so misshapen it refuses to be human at all. This is the story of Polly and the Compass. Everyone's heard the origin
3: story of the Inked Expanse, whether or not they believe in it. A child drew it into existence, simple as that. They wanted it to be, and so it was. So many have desired a power like that over the centuries. Who wouldn't? I mean, the power to create entire realities and wars... Never one for anything? It's tempting. Ah, so close! Lorelai Renfire throws down her pen and stomps across the room, picking up a crumpled piece of paper. I know I can do it! It's there! It has to be! The determination in her voice brings an uneasy sense to her workspace. She rubs her forehead. Try again, Lorelai, you'll get it this time, Lorelai. She spits these mocking words to herself. Any luck? Penny Amelia bursts into the room. (sighs) No, of course not. Oh, no worries. Try again, Lorelai. You'll get it this time. Penny puts a comforting hand on Lorelai's shoulder. I know this is tough, but maybe attempt two thousand one hundred and ninety-eight is the one. Lorelai smirks reluctantly. It has to be. I'm almost out of Bosky, and you know I won't be able to afford any more after this. I know, love, I know. Penny pauses and puts her goggles on. One more try. Together. Lorelai and Penny begin working. Decades pass. A voice calls from the dark. Take it. You could do so much with it. Make sure no one ever goes hungry again. Become rich. Be rid of those who stand in your way with one look. All you have to do is take it. A woman reaches down to the two skeletons holding hands in the rubble of a house. She rips the compass from the hand of one whose bones shatter at her touch. The compass hums. Yes, you've done it. The woman smiles. Here begins a century of war. A war unlike any historian in any universe has ever recorded. This war wages against one being only. She considers herself a god, but even gods have their time. The compass passed hands for years, from hopeful god to grateful family to politicians and leaders, until tracking it became impossible. Centuries pass. Polly, back into line! The voice of the commander, Ilya, carries across the courtyard. Polly stumbles back into line, holding in a laugh as they do. Sorry, commander, won't happen again. (laughs) It better not. Polly whispers to the soldier in front of them. Psst. Cammie, you think the commander fell off the wrong side of her bed this morning? <laughs> they both giggle, just ever too loud. Commander Ilya speaks up again. Polly, whatever you find funny you may explain to the general. Polly sighs. Yes, commander. Polly leaves the ever-so-perfect formation lines, leaving an obvious hole where a training soldier should be. They enter the compound and walk down the maze of hallways to the general's office. General? Polly knocks on the door. Are you there? No answer. They push the door open with hesitancy. No one. Not even a whisper. They begin to look around the office for any sign of anything. The window swings shut with a forceful sound, and the shadow of something darts away. Polly looks out the window but sees nothing. But as they turn to leave, a pile of ashes in the corner catches their eye, and in it, something reflective. Please, don't make me. Polly steps back in astonishment and stumbles a little in hearing this voice from the dark. They recover and leaning closer, hearing almost a cry. Whatever you're going to want, choose it quick. Polly peers down at the compass in the pile. "I I don't want anything. The voice seems taken aback. Nothing? At all? Polly picks up the compass and wipes the ashes from it. Well, I'm sure everyone wants something, but right now I'm happy. The compass needle turns towards Polly. Then I want something. Polly shrugs. Sure, what is it? Kill me. Polly steps back again. Kill you? Why would I do that? The compass lets out a sigh that has been held in for a millennia. I've done many terrible things in life. Too many to count. I deserve to die. The suffering, the lust, the greed. I've seen the worst in people and in myself. And there is nothing I want more than to leave it all behind and find what comes next. Can't let someone else with thoughts of world domination come along and find me. It would truly mean the end of the world. Again. Polly hesitates and thinks for a while. I'll do it. You will? I mean you will. And <laughs> take me to a river and drown me or smash me into pieces or take apart every bit meticulously. I'd even help you. Take your pick, anything will work. Polly nods encouragingly, walking out of the late general's office. I understand. They pause. I'm truly sorry you lived the life you have. It sounds lonely and traumatizing. They hold the compass over the rushing water below the sewer grate in a courtyard. May your future days bring you the time you need to forgive yourself. They drop the compass into the water with a small splash. And so it is that the compass was never found. And Polly only told their story on their deathbed to their daughter. And she to her child and them to theirs. Until the years had gone by and the compass was forgotten. As it should be. I hope we've learned one thing that those with selfless hearts are the people who will end wars of power in the blink of an eye.
0: They will save us. In the laws of the universe lie stories untold, and through only their tellers do tales unfold. With pen and paper still in their hand, the authors have noted one final command. May this tome never close, and its ink never dry. May all tales be penned on each page, may truths lie. May the cosmos' final score never be written as beyond the stars, mortals hear composition. Even now, images on parchment are scrawled and danced. So thus continues the world of the inked expanse. Hi friends, thank you so much for listening to our first of hopefully many episodes of World of the Inked Expanse. We are so excited about this project and a few other projects, which we will make sure to mention in a little bit. Uh, But until then, make sure you check out our Discord. We have some really fun stuff over there like D&D trivia and questions of the day. Um, If you're super dedicated, you can check out our Patreon and make sure to follow our socials, which are all linked in our description, but we're mostly spells and whistles pod everywhere. And now, for the moment you've all been waiting for, the scheduling update. As you can tell, we are going to be doing some really fun stuff for the next few months, so here is the general plan. Starting out with our most immediate update is next week we are going to be taking a week off from posting, um, mainly just to keep our own sanity and give ourselves a little bit of a break Following our break the week after on August 13th, we are going to be starting something called Mini Series Mayhem, which is going to be a really fun series of one-offs that are all run by a few different players of the pod. Our first one-off is going to be Ten Candles, which is going to be run by Meg. It is going to be a three-parter, and it is running for the rest of August. It is also featuring one of our friends of the pod, Bunny who is absolutely amazing. Make sure to stay tuned after this episode for a sneak peek trailer into the actual series. It's gonna be so good. I hope you guys have as much fun with it as we had playing it. It was so good. And I think it's probably important to mention who's actually in that. So like we mentioned before, Meg is going to be running 10 Candles, Bunny is going to be playing as well as myself, Jay and Anastasia. So make sure to stay tuned for that sneak peek. After that, for the entire month of September, I am going to be running a Glitter Hearts 4-Part One-Shot with plenty of special guests, which will be announced at a later point. So make sure to keep an eye on our social media platforms, or at the end of episodes for postings, or however you best keep in contact with us. Lastly, for the first part of October, Ben is going to be running a really fun Inked Expanse One-Shot. Details of that will be announced later, including who will be playing in that, All that we know is that Ben's running it and it's gonna take place in the Inked Expanse and it's going to be very, very fun. This means that we are going to be getting back to the main campaign in about mid to late October. So make sure to keep an eye on our socials once again for any other further updates we have on that. We love you all so much. Thank you so much for sticking with us as we highlight some amazing TTRPGs outside of the Dungeons & Dragons system. And even if we are playing D&D, we're gonna play with some really fun friends and now for the moment you've been waiting for here's a closer look at ten candles
2: these things are true the world is dark ten days ago the sky became completely overrun by smoke At first, it rolled in slowly, accompanied by the occasional ash fall. The sun, shielded by smoke, began to glow red, and before you knew it, it lost the ability to pierce the smog filling the sky at all.
3: (sighs) We have options, obviously, but being higher up normally feels like a decent idea, but it gets really dark up there.
2: A lot of ash. Not good for our lungs. Five days after the sun seemed to vanish, you began to hear things moving, howling, screaming in the dark, whether human, animal, or perhaps something more sinister. You couldn't tell. I study science, and I know that species have an end, and sometimes that looks horrible. And unfortunately, that looks to be the case here. It has been a few tense days, and in a camp of academics you're on edge with the knowledge that you only know two things. They fear the light, and they're coming for you. I think those are two peas in a pod.
0: And I don't think they're on the same side as us. So
2: my question is, you still got any mercy left? Spells and Whistles proudly presents Ten Candles a game written by Stephen Dewey and produced by Cavalry Games. Episodes going live August 13th, 20th, and 27th. We'll see you there.